Hi everyone. Welcome to Reason with Science. I'm your host Jitendra. This episode is with Franz Devol. He is professor in Emory University's psychology department and the director of the Living Links Center at the Yerkes National Primate Research Center. He is the author of several popular books like Chimpanzee Politics, The Age of Empathy, and The Bonobo and the Atheist. His latest book is different. gender through the eyes of primatologists in this conversation we talk about evolution of sex and gender in humans primates and mammals enjoy the conversation share and subscribe to support the podcast thank you for listening hi franz welcome to the podcast hi yeah so uh, your new book which is different gender through the eyes of a primatologist i mean starting with gender itself which is a complicated topic controversial as well so what a primatologist has to add on such a topic well the thing is people often think that if we look at the primates we see biology and if we look at humans we see culture but actually in the primates we also see some culture because they they are slow developing and they learn a lot of things during their lifetime and in humans of course we also see some biology uh, humans may have the illusion sometimes that they are purely cultural products but we are organisms with lungs and hearts and brains we are animals and so yeah there's a lot of biology in human behavior too yeah so um, i mean once we think of science in general you know uh, these are like different layers i mean uh, or metaphors that we use we can call it primatologist who is studying the behavior of primates but then it can be evolutionary biologist or molecular biologist right so mm-hmm. but but all of us what we are trying to do is uh, just trying to understand the similar mechanisms through different routes right yeah. um so and when it comes to uh, evolution of gender itself uh, what do you think how viable uh, the primatology approach is well we are primates so i don't make a sharp distinction between humans and other primates and and the closest relatives that we have chimpanzees and bonobos they're extremely close to us they're about as close to us as let's say the the asian and the african elephant they are very different elephants but uh, we call them both elephants and and so we humans are basically apes we're very different but we're basically apes and so for the primatologist it's not a sharp distinction necessarily even though we recognize that humans are intellectually quite different uh, but socio emotionally i think we are hardly different we communicate with facial expressions like the apes we have all sorts of sounds and gestures that we do um we react to situations like with jealousy or aggression or uh, love so so we have all these reactions in common with them so so socio emotionally we are not particularly different from the apes intellectually uh, technologically we certainly a bit different from them yeah so in in other words what you are trying to say that we are evolved all all the apes are evolved from a common ancestor and that's why we have something inherent something common which we can yeah. call or which people call nature right yeah yeah and then yeah. there is another element which is called nurture uh, which comes through cultural uh, these these yeah. elements so 
What? And that applies, that applies to both. So both in apes, we have nature and nurture. And in humans, we have nature and nurture. And that makes the, the picture quite complex. Because if I say uh, humans do this kind of behavior and apes do this kind of behavior, we know that in both cases, there is an environmental effect going on as well. It's not just biology we're talking about. And so um, the, the, the book actually offers quite a complex comparison because uh, our two close relatives, Bonobos and Chimps, are also quite different from each other. So it's a triangular comparison with, with one quite aggressive and male-dominated species, that is the chimpanzee, and one very peaceful and female-dominated species, that is the bonobo. And then we have humans in the sort of in, caught in the middle there. So, so it's a quite a complex comparison, but there are certain things that you see in all of them. So um, I, I start the book with um, a description of play by young primates. So how do they play? The young females, they are very interested in infants. Uh, they want to hold infants and they want to hold dolls. If you give them dolls, they want to hold dolls. And that's true for all the primates, uh, uh, not just the bonobos and chimps, but all the primates. And that is true for human children also. And uh, the young males, they like to wrestle. They, they do mock fighting all the time and they run after each other to make a fight uh, in fun. All the male primates, young male primates do this. It's not just the, the apes, all of them, the monkeys also. Uh, and all human children that have been studied, boys do this more than girls. So, so there, there are certain universal differences, but there's also many differences that's, I think, so intriguing. There's many differences that we assume that, that are just not there. So for example, we assume that um, men are more hierarchical and better leaders because they are more hierarchical beings. That is not really confirmed because in all the primates, we find female hierarchies. We find alpha females. It's not unusual at all, alpha females and female leadership. And of course, in human society, we see the same thing. So uh, sometimes that is assumed and, and psychologists have done experiments where they put, let's say, five men together in a room and five women together in a room and see how they behave with each other when they need to make a decision. And the men are hierarchical, they make a rank order, but the women do too. And so this whole difference that we postulate very often is that men are hierarchical beings. Is They're not more so than, uh, than, than women, I think. So there are many biases in, the, in, in our, um, how can we say language in, in our culture? Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of biases. Um, some of them are based on reality. Some of them are, I think, fantasies, basically, of what we want to be or how we, how we think we are. So, so in, in my book, I try to tease these things apart and, and say which differences I think are substantial and which are superficial. For, for example, another one really interesting People complain often about the blue for the boys and the pink for the girls, you know. That's a completely a concoction of, uh, of the, the, the toy business. They have made that up. And um, if you test very young children on, on images, uh, children of, of, of barely a year old, and you show them images on the screen, uh, the boys look more at cars and the girls look more at faces are more socially interested. But color doesn't matter at all. 
blue versus pink doesn't do anything for them. And that shows that it is not something that is uh, deeply ingrained in them, a preference for blue or pink. Uh, that's something that's made up. Yeah, this is interesting because uh, when we think of humans, I mean, our language is quite complicated. At least this is what uh, we can agree on. Um, and that's why uh, we use a lot of metaphors, be it uh, in our everyday language or in science as well, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, so let's let's talk about those metaphors itself. So, for example, I really like the um, this analogy with the senior citizens. You know, when a person becomes sixty, we we start calling that person a senior citizen, and you know, probably uh, start treating them differently. But interesting uh -huh. thing is that uh, when it comes to science or biology, we know that nothing specifically changes at 60, you know, um, it's like gradual change, right? Yeah. In the same way, when it comes to sex or gender in science or in society, how, how that changes. Yeah. Gender, it, it has an effect on how people judge things. You know, if you say this article was written by a man, and this one was written by a woman, we have already sort of preconceived opinions, uh, which are usually in favor of the man. So that's, that's one of the things we, we need to pay attention to. There's inequality between the genders. Uh, there's, there's certain biases. And uh, that's of course, extremely unfair and also extremely um, unreasonable because there's no reason why uh, an article by a woman could not be just as good or better than an article by a man. So uh, yeah, we have these, these kind of biases based on what we hear people say about things. Um, I, I'm not dealing with that in the primates so much, even though I would say they have biases too. Uh, and like, like humans, they judge the situation immediately based on gender. So um, uh, in humans, we know that if you show faces to humans, pictures, and you crop out all the hair and you just show the face and no makeup and no nothing, Within a second, we can, with almost 100% accuracy, we can say that's a man and that's a woman. We're very good at that uh, because we need to be good at it because in daily interactions, it makes a huge difference if you meet a man or a woman. Uh, we have a different agenda usually with a man or with a woman. And uh, the other primates are just as quick as that. They, they, they just very immediately things are based on the gender of individuals. So that's a very important part of um, our interactions actually. So you could call it a bias, but it's also something we, we have evolved to pay attention to it really. Yeah, uh, so let's just leave out uh, a bit of technical detail here uh, about sex and gender. What is the difference and stuff? Yeah, so sex is usually a term that we use for the biology. Sex is mostly binary male, female, there's a, there's a small slice of individuals that is not easily classified. Um, and so it, it's determined by uh, chromosomes, hormones, brains, genitals, of course. Uh, in biology, we usually say that the females are the ones with the large gametes and the, and the males with the, the small gametes and the mobile, often mobile gametes. So that's sex and gender is how you express these differences. And the society has a big influence on that. The society tells us a man has to behave like this and a woman has to behave like that. And, and young children learn uh, from a very young age onwards 
they learn this is what we expect from boys, this is what we expect from girls. And that's gender. And gender is not binary. Gender is more like masculine and feminine and everything in between. And there's an enormous variability in gender. So, so we should, for gender, we should never say it is male or female. That's not a good way of putting it. And uh, the flexibility of gender, which we often call gender diversity, uh, that you can find in the other primates too. So in the other primates, you may find individuals who are born as a female, but they don't act like a female. I, I describe in my book a, a female chimpanzee named Donna, who is clearly born as a female, but the older she got, the more she looked like a male. And, and she had big hair and big head and, and she acted like a male. She, she associated with the males. So she behaved more like a male. I, I cannot ask her her identity, but she, uh, uh, she clearly was, uh, from a distance, she looked like a male. And you have sometimes males who don't play the macho game, who they're, they're big males, they could be the alpha male, but they are not interested in the kind of stuff and they stay out of confrontations. Um, so, so yeah, we have, we, and we have of course also individuals who are more homosexual than heterosexual. So the sexual orientation comes in. Uh, so the, this, I think the same gender diversity we see in human society, we can find in uh, the societies of chimpanzees and bonobos. Uh, and, and the only big difference is that, that these individuals, the, the, I've never noticed negative reactions to these individuals. It's not like they're not accepted. They, they're just part of the society. Everyone knows them. Everyone grew up with them. Uh, it's no big deal. They, they don't make a big deal about it. Uh, whereas, as you know, humans uh, tend to do that. So, so that's the, um, the big advantage, actually, of the private societies is that these individuals are accepted. Yeah, I think this is um, a very important thing because once I was reading your book, I, I was like, okay, this can be a great message uh, to the humanity that in apes, in other primates or non-human primates, they don't uh, differentiate between individuals, no matter what, mm -hmm. what their identity is, right? Now, they, they do differentiate. So they, they know of Donna how she is. Mm -hmm. She's known to, because, of course, they, they pay attention to that, but it doesn't bother them. And that's just how she is. And, and I think they would not accept an individual necessarily who bothers them, who, who is aggressive or disturbs the peace all the time. They, they might uh, eject such an individual, but that's not the case usually because gender diversity is usually not expressed in that kind of behavior. Yeah, so, so I meant that they don't discrimi discriminate between individuals, yeah. which is yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, and then how, um, how about um, other kind of, uh, you know, changes? So, for example, in, in our culture nowadays, another term which is popular, toxic masculinity. How about that? Like, is it really, um, does it really exist? Or it's more of cultural thing again? Yeah. I don't like the term because I know what, what they mean by the term. They mean there is a certain part of masculine behavior that we don't like. For, for example, men who insult you all the time or, or provoke fights or, or take enormous risks that they don't need to take, you know. Uh, so, but it sounds, if you say toxic masculinity, 
it sounds a bit like you're rejecting masculinity in general. And that's the part I don't agree with. Because in that case, I would say there's also toxic femininity, of course, that, a certain behavior of, of women that we, that we don't want. And so um, it has gotten a bit confusing. Uh, I accept that there are, is certain hum, human male behavior that we don't like and, and I don't like. Um, but um, to elevate that to uh, statements about toxic masculinity, I think goes too far. So I, I would like to have a discussion between the genders that is mutually respectful and that, uh, and that acknowledges that yes, men can be bad, women can be bad, but we can also be, both can be good uh, in some ways, you know? Yeah, I think it, it also uh, got popular because there is also another notion that the, uh, we are male dominated species, but are we? Yeah, uh, in the present societies, I would say that is probably true. Uh, I'm not sure that we are uh, male dominated in the same way that we always have been. And so uh, we have two close relatives. One is female dominated, the bonobo. The females are collectively dominant over the males. The females are not bigger than the males, they're smaller. Uh, but collectively they dominate and the alpha female has a clique of other females around her um, and she's, she's the boss of the group. And in the chimpanzees, it's clearly a male dominated society and every, every healthy adult male chimpanzee is dominant over the females. But that's just physical dominance. And, and in humans too, of course, men are physically dominant over women. Uh, but then if you look behind that, if you look at the influence of individuals on society, uh, you see often a different picture. So um, you may even have in a chimpanzee society, I did, in my previous book, I described mama, the alpha female chimpanzee. Uh, so, so it's a male dominated society, but that female had an enormous amount of power. For 40 years, she was the alpha female. So she saw a lot of males come and go as alphas. And she was the one who often decided which male would be the alpha male, because if she put her weight behind him, he had a big advantage. And she, and she organized a lot of things in the group. And so she was the peacemaker also very often in the group. So uh, even in a male dominated society, a female can have an enormous amount of power. And so I, I feel you need to make a distinction between dominance and power. And people are sometimes surprised by that is that because they think everything in the primates must be decided physically. But that's not the case at all. And, and I don't know why they are so surprised because in humans too, we, we don't decide things physically. If, if you walk into a store in, in a big city and you want to talk to the boss, you don't necessarily walk up to the biggest guy in the store and, and assume that that's the boss. No, that he may be um, uh, just a coworker who is uh, occasionally there. The boss may be... Uh, an older man or an older woman, who knows who the boss is. So um, in humans, we're very used to that, that things are not necessarily decided physically, even though physical strength is a factor always. Uh, and the same is true in primate societies. The, the, the smallest male in the chimp group may be the alpha male. If he has the right connections and support from the females, he may be the alpha male. So, so I think it's very important to make these, these distinctions and uh, I would not say necessarily that in humans, the men are naturally better leaders 
which people often say, you know, that you better have male leaders. Uh, we, we now come out of the COVID crisis and we have seen quite a bit of female leadership in the crisis and a bit of male leadership that was not so great. So, <laughs> so I'm not convinced based on our experience of the last couple of years that, that males necessarily make better leaders. Yeah, and is there any um, reason? I mean, and what, what about this collective um, female power that, that you mentioned? So what does that mean? Yeah, it's interesting that the bonobos do that. There is a problem in primate societies and in humans, I would say, is, is that males can be infanticidal. Males may kill infants sometimes. And uh, this sometimes happens in chimpanzees. It never happens in bonobos. And I think what bonobos have done is designed the perfect counter strategy to this kind of male behavior. Uh, is the females have sex with all sorts of males. So it's impossible for males to exclude certain babies that they see as uh, exclude that they are their offspring. Um, and uh, the females dominate the males. And so if the males get aggressive, they can stop that. Uh, so in bonobos, we never have seen infanticide, but in chimpanzees, it's a, it's a behavior that occurs sometimes. And in human societies, it occurs also. So that's one of the, the, the reasons we think female bonobos got dominant is to, to stop certain kinds of male behavior. Yeah, and since you already mentioned infanticide and other things, so what about the violence factor then? Um, are the are the men or the males are the, the the ones to blame there? Yeah, violence is very much a male thing. That's true in human society. You look at the statistics of every nation, homicide is going to be higher for men than for women. Men are also often the victims, of course. Of, of So it's often male-male violence, there's also quite a bit of male-female violence. That's less often, but there's quite a bit of that in human society. And I would say that's more common in human society than in other primate societies. So in chimpanzees, for example, if you look at the numbers that we have from the field, wild chimpanzees, it looks very similar to human data in the sense of it's a lot of male-male violence and then a little bit less of male-female violence. Uh, but killing is more typical done by males than by females. So that's sort of a universal difference, a, a higher level of violence by males. Uh, in human society, I think a factor that comes in is that we live in nuclear families and we isolate them. We, we put them in the house, like a man and a woman and children are in this house and then in that house and then in that house which allows man to sometimes dominate exclusively a female and to be, uh, uh, to be abusive, which in a primate group would probably be stopped by the surrounding individuals. But in our case, we are isolated. And actually during the COVID crisis, domestic abuse increased because we were locked up in homes. So, so in human society, there's actually more violence by men against women and there's more rape by men against women than in primate societies. Rapes is, rape in, in bonobos is absent and in chimpanzees it's extremely rare. So um, I think humans have a problem but in that regard. Yeah, yeah and uh, what about violence in bonobos? They don't kill each other. 
We, we don't have an, any observed case of one bonobo killing another. So yes, there is aggression. The alpha female certainly asserts her position. She makes clear that she's the alpha female. But um, the violence level is much lower than in, for example, chimpanzees and in humans. Uh, the, the, I'm sure one day we're going to discover a killing among bonobos. It's going to happen one day, but it's extremely rare behavior. Yeah. And uh, the the size differences they they still exist in bonobos. Yeah, the males are bigger than the females. Yeah, that's true for all the primates, almost all the primates. Uh, but of course, in humans, the size difference is not so great. If, if I compare with baboons, where the males are twice the size of females, or gorillas, where, where males are so much bigger than the females, in humans, exactly the size difference is, is, is existing. And the upper body strength of men is, is quite a bit substantially greater than of women. But um, relatively, compared to other primates, it's actually not so impressive, uh, our size difference. Yeah, so when it comes to violence, again, uh, that's also another factor that we think we can remove through cultural uh, changes, you know, uh, teaching uh, children, etc. So what do you think? Is it possible? Well, I do think you need to, you need to uh, educate boys differently from girls. So, so I've heard sometimes Gloria Steinem, the feminist here, say that we should raise boys more like girls. That would be a good thing. They would become more sensitive and stuff like that. Empathic. Uh, I'm not sure. I think a boy is something, a son is something else than a daughter. And uh, a son will grow bigger and stronger and become more violent than a daughter. So you need to deal with that in the education. You need to teach them discipline. You need to teach them to have self-control. Um, so so uh, there are different requirements for society. Uh, and, and so uh, what you want, of course, is boys who learn to control their strengths and to use it for constructive purposes rather than destructive purposes. That, that's what you would want as a society. So, so you need to civilize them more, more than you need to do that with service girls, I would say. So, so I think the education needs to be different. And it's interesting if you look at, I mentioned all the wrestling behavior by boys and, and young male primates. That behavior is very important for them. Uh, I, I know that at schools here in the US now, they try to suppress that. They, they, they tell children not to touch each other and not to uh, run around and scream and yell at each other and have these mock fights that they do. Um, but I think it's actually very important behavior for young males because in the process, they learn certain things. They learn fighting skills, which they probably need at some point. They need how to defend themselves. They need they learn how to win and how to lose in a good way that it remains fun. They learn how to control their physical strengths, which is extremely important because a big boy can play with a small boy and they can still have fun together. Just as a big dog can play with a small dog and they still can have fun together. That is something that they need to learn. They need to learn to inhibit their physical strengths. And it's very important in human society, if you have, let's say, a family and you have a man in the house who doesn't know that he's much stronger than the woman and much stronger than the children, that's a potentially enormously dangerous man. So he needs to have an enormous amount of self-control 
just like, let's say, a gorilla male who is so big and strong needs to have an enormous amount of self-control. And that's the thing that they learn in all this wrestling behavior that they do. So, so it is very important, I think, if you want to control violence in society, to have men and boys who have self-discipline, who have learned to control their strengths, to use it for good purposes and not bad purposes. All of that is an important part of education, I would say. Yeah, so just to comment here, uh, basically you are suggesting that nurture can kind of control nature in a way, right? Yeah, nurture is very important. So, so there are human societies where uh, physical violence is almost absent. From a very young age, they teach the children not to fight and not to hurt each other. Uh, murder is very low in these societies, so, so they exist. So yes, nurture can have an effect on that. Yeah, and the other thing that you mentioned um, is rapes, that, the, that in humans, the, the numbers are really high. That means it does exist in the other uh, primates? No, because it's, rape is really unusual in the animal kingdom. So in orangutans, we have rapes. Younger males, not the, not the fully grown males, the, the younger males, the adolescent males, they do that. And it's possible in orangutans because the females travel on their own. The females travel through the forest on their own with their children. And so they, they don't have a defense system against that kind of males. In, in almost all primates, females are together. So for example, female bonobos, they are the prime example of, of how a sisterhood defends against the kind of behavior. So females help each other against aggressive males. And uh, rape, uh, otherwise, uh, if we leave the orangutans out of the story, it's extremely rare and unusual behavior. Uh, and this is true for many animals. So, so a book came out, I think it's 20 years ago, that said that rape is a natural behavior. Uh, the natural history of rape was the title of the book. And it was including also about human, human rapes. And uh, that was based on such flimsy evidence because there's, there's very few species that show quite a bit of rape. And if, if it's such a great evolutionary strategy as these people were suggesting, uh, you would expect that a lot of animals would do it and that's not really the case. So, so uh, look at rape as a rare behavior. In chimpanzees it's extremely rare and bonobos it's absent. Uh, in humans it's unfortunately quite common. Hmm. Yeah, so it seems like bonobos are at the other extreme, as you said, that it's uh, rare. And um, what, what what can be the reason in... In what? In, in the, the bonobos? Case of bonobos, yeah. Well, because the females are dominant over the males. So what is if a male would try something like that, the female would scream. And, and before you know it, he would get all the females after him. So it's easily, easily resolved. So no, it doesn't occur. And uh, in chimpanzees also is extremely rare. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. So with that, I mean, we can also talk about uh, friendship, cooperation, peacemaking. That's basically your work. Um, yeah. so, so how frequent that is uh, when it comes to uh, other primates as well? Yeah, the other primates, they have reconciliations after fights and they maintain friendships despite competition. So, so males compete, for example, male chimpanzees are very competitive with each other over status, but they're also friends and they groom each other and they hang out together. 
so uh, that I always found that such an interesting dynamic between uh, rivalry and friendship. And, and sometimes, in, I, I'm a biologist, but I, I've worked for 30 years as a psychology professor. In psychology, in the textbooks, they often describe male friendships in sort of derogatory terms, like males, they call themselves friends, but they, all they do is, is hang out together and look at sports and they don't talk about personal problems. And, and, and so the authors of the textbooks in psychology, they, they are impressed by female friendships because the women talk with each other and reveal secrets to each other, but they're not impressed by male friendships. And I always think that's unfortunate because I think it is because men are both rivals and friends at the same time, and they don't know how to handle that. But the men know very well how to handle it. And, and men like to hang out with each other. Um, I'm from a family of six boys, and so I'm very used to male-male relationships. Uh, men do like to hang out with each other and have a lot of fun with each other, uh, despite the fact that they also have some rivalries going which is for a man really not a big deal to, to handle the, the two of them at the same time. So, so yeah, male and female friendships, I think, are different. I think both of them are important and strong and, and play an important role in the lives of people. Uh, and both of them have ways of resolving tensions and problems between them. And, and, and men cycle very easily through confrontation and, and reconciliation. And, and often the next day, they don't even know they had a fight with somebody. <laughs> they forget they forget these things, uh, whereas women would not forget these things. I think the strategy of women is, I, I, I described that in my book, the strategy of women is peacekeeping and men is peacemaking. And what I mean is that women try to keep the peace, try to avoid confrontation, because if they have confrontations, it's very hard to get over them. So they, they, they try to stay out of confrontations. And, and if they have a certain woman that they don't like, they're gonna avoid that woman. That's the best way to stay out of problems. Men, they cycle very easily through these things. Uh, they, they may have a fight and then five minutes later, they're laughing about it. So, so yeah, since they cycle more easily about it, they have more a peacemaking strategy. They, they, they don't mind the confrontation and then they get over it quite easily. So, so it's very different strategies, but both of them are capable of maintaining friendships, lifelong friendships, which is remarkable, uh, but, but both genders are capable of doing that. Yeah, to, to the same extent? I think so. I, uh, I think um, I've never heard that, uh, that male friendships are shorter or longer. Actually, uh, friendships among girls, we, we know it for younger uh, people, uh, the friendships among girls have a, a shorter life than the friendships among boys. It's because boys, they, they hang out in gangs often, like a small group of five or six boys, and they, and they keep hanging out. And even if they have a fight, they get over that. Uh, whereas girls have more dyadic friendships. And if something happens in that relationship, it's broken up. So, so I don't know if, if for adult men and women, the same rules apply. I'm not sure that that's the case. I've never heard actually of a big difference in that regard. Yeah, then the other factor is, um, you know, maintaining this monogamy, monogamous uh, relationships. Um, that's 
again interesting i mean because uh, i think all the primates all the non human primates they are non monogamous right well we have a few the, the gibbons they have male gibbons. female yeah we have a few gibbons. yeah um yeah monogamy it's a difficult topic because i'm not sure we are naturally monogamous uh and i'm not sure that that's true uh, for many primates and and we usually in the animal literature we make a distinction between social monogamy and genet uh, genetic monogamy in the sense that social monogamy is when a male and a female do things together raise offspring and stuff um but uh, some of the offspring may not be fertilized by the male maybe some other male involved that's why we make a distinction with genetic monogamy which is actually very rare in the animal kingdom so and as i would say the same is probably true for humans is that yes we we have these family arrangements man and woman live together raise offspring uh, but that doesn't mean that in terms of sexual behavior uh, it's completely monogamous and and we all know that in humans it is not completely monogamous yeah um but then when it comes to sex it's um, another topic is same sex sex so yeah. that's that, that was uh, an interesting chapter in your book as well so uh, how uh, common it is in the other primates that's very common actually so so homosexual sex has been known for a long time in other animals it has often been ignored it's a bit like a human society we often have ignored it so um in the primates uh all the primates have some degree of homosexual activity going on in most cases it's not like you have gay individuals they're not exclusively homosexual but you know in humans that's rare too um in humans they say homo people who uh are interested in homosexual uh, interaction is maybe 4 or 5% of the population but exclusive homosexuality they say is a half percent so that's a very small minority and and who knows in the other primates we these individuals may exist um in bonobos i would say um they're perfectly bisexual they they have sex with uh, males with males males with females females with females female female sex is actually very common in the bonobo and so um the bonobos have a lot of homosexual activity in other species it's a sort of the minority of of interactions but still quite a bit yeah yeah i hope some politicians now won't uh, try to stop them so, <laughs> yeah um, so <clears throat> it is something i i i always look at it as a sort of combination of a uh, same gender attraction which is present in all the primates Ma males hang out with males females hang out with females which is also true for humans of course very often so so you have this same gender attraction and it combines somehow with sexual attraction and and that's how you get homosexual behavior so people have written entire volumes about how could homosexuality have evolved like the big puzzle you know Uh, but it's actually quite common and it doesn't interfere with reproduction so um i don't think it's such a big puzzle as as they think it is yeah the i think the puzzle would be a transgender part so uh what's your take on that yeah um transgender 
in human society, we think it's at the moment in the US, we think it's 0.6%, so less than a percent. That sounds very low, but it's still a couple of million people in a country like the US. So it's, it's actually quite common. Uh, we don't know how it comes about. We don't know if certain genes are involved. Same thing with homosexuality. We don't know if certain, there are certain genes of course involved, but there is not, there's not a gay gene, for example, clearly. And, and the same is, I think, true for trans. Uh, but we do think it arises very early in life. It arises at three, four years of age that a child who is, let's say, born as a boy says, I'm actually a girl. Uh, and we also know from a recent study that children don't change their mind. So, so I think it was a couple of thousand children who were followed over six years and only two and a half percent, which is very low, two and a half percent of them had changed their mind after six years meaning that the vast majority, they, they think I'm this, uh, identify as a certain gender and they stick to it. So, so it arises early in life. It is basically irreversible, even though society works very hard to try to reverse these kids, they don't. That, that indicates to me that it's deep down in them. It's not something superficial as some people try to suggest it. It's deep down in them. And we don't know exactly where it comes from, but um, uh, we need to respect the, the, that kind of decision that they make, yeah. Yeah, and it'll be difficult to study in um, other primates, right? Like beyond humans. Yeah, we cannot ask them about their identity, but um, Donna, the chimpanzee, I would say uh, probably identified as a male because he acted a lot like a male. So uh, we don't know how that comes about, uh, if that's hormonal or what it is, we, we really don't know. There is a theory about it by Dick Swap, the neuroscientist in, in Amsterdam, who, uh, who studied the brains of transgender people. And he thinks it's possible that during um, fetal development, the genitals differentiate in male and female before the brain. The brain is in the second half of the pregnancy and the genitals in the first half of the pregnancy, and that these two processes get somehow disconnected. So in most um, development, they go in the same direction. The genitals differentiate, let's say, into male and female, and the brain does the same thing as, and in some it disconnects. And, but he also doesn't know why that happens. So we, we still have a big puzzle there, yeah. Yeah, it'll be still difficult to explain because then, um... Does that mean that you already have this kind of uh, male brain or female brain from the fetus itself, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. So that'll, I think, again, complicate the... the yeah, I, I, I'm not a neuroscientist, so I, and I don't know how these things happen, but um, I do think uh, when trans people say that it's inside of them, that it's, uh, it's not some sort of exterior decision that they have made later in their life, I believe that. And, and, and we have had the same discussion about homosexuality, of course, is for a long time, this was called a lifestyle. And now most of us, we recognize that these people, they are born this way. And, and, and so uh, I think we need to respect that. Yeah, yeah the respecting part, I think that's, that should be in general, uh, how to say, uh, part of the human society itself, right? 
Obviously. Yeah, but that's uh, that's the big discussion at the moment, is that uh, to what degree do we let these people be what they are? Uh, huh? That's a big discussion of, at this moment in, in my country here in the US, yeah. Yeah, so what's your take on that? Because this is um, interesting, I mean, um, at the end, of course, these are labels. Uh, th that's what we were talking about, that, you know, these are cultural metaphors in a way, right? Um, mm -hmm. Scientifically, we won't have, I, I don't know how we would be able to explain a, a, a homosexual or transgender person, right? Um, no. It'll be, it'll be really difficult, but uh, these are cultural m metaphors. I, I mean, of course, the discrimination should, shouldn't be there, but then, yes, mm -hmm. where do we stop when it comes to this point? What do you mean? Is that there should be limits to our yeah. acceptance? So how, do we, how do we limit? Uh, can science help in that in that direction? I think science is going to help. Um, for example, the discussion about homosexuality was changed by science. When the scientists demonstrated that homosexual uh, people occur everywhere in the world, it's not just in, in Western society, everywhere we can find them, and that in animals we can see homosexual activity, that was part of the argument to make homosexual behavior more accepted um, because it was not some sort of cultural fluke or something. So, so I think it is important. The scientists can contribute to the, this discussion by finding out where it comes from and how widespread these things are. You know? Yeah. Yeah, the um, let's let's just talk about one more element, which was uh, which is the maternal instinct and xenophobia in general. So, uh, I mean, of course, when it uh, when we when we are thinking about these topics, we think of directly females doing it. Uh -huh. uh, but how common it is in in other primates? Well, the maternal instinct. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I want to call it an instinct. Because an instinct gives you the impression that uh, females are born with the skills to raise offspring, which is not the case. They are born with the physical abilities to produce an offspring. Uh, but once the, the kid is born, uh, many primates don't know what to do. And, and it's actually not very logical. If let's say you're a gorilla female and you have a baby in your lap, how does the baby get to your nipple? That's not logical. It needs to be brought there. So the female needs to know where the baby needs to go. And she needs to learn that. And we know that because in many zoos, when they have apes or monkeys who get babies and have never seen an example of how you raise a baby, they are not able to do it. So it's something they need to learn. And the way they learn that is by holding the babies of adult females. So that's why young females, I think, are so interested in dolls and in babies is because they need to learn the maternal skills. And they do that by imitating adult females who have babies or by holding their babies and putting them on their back and walking around with them. And if you give them dolls, they will hold a doll and they will hold, also hold the doll against their nipple and so on. So um, maternal instinct is not a good term. There's, there's an interest in females in babies, but that's all you can say. They need to learn a lot of things. And sometimes in, in present society, it is presented as if males lack completely in any of these capacities. So for example, in the US, uh, we have um, 
conservative politicians who make fun of paternity leaves. They say, yeah, maternity leaves, they can understand, but paternity leaves, that's nonsense. Why would we need it? Because men don't take care of children and so on. Uh, and, and that's a strange thing because actually men have quite a bit of caring tendencies, are very well capable of it. There are, after all, men who raise children because the woman has disappeared or died or whatever the reason is, or they are part of a gay couple or whatever the reason is. So, and in the other primates, what I found interesting is that in chimpanzees and bonobos, the males do very little in offspring care, but they are capable of it. So sometimes a female chimp, let's say, loses her life and dies. And all of a sudden there is a young five-year-old, four-year-old chimpanzee, post-weaning is important, who, uh, who needs help. And those kids are often picked up by adult males. So there are reports from the field of adult males, even alpha males who have, have adopted a, a young individual and, and not just for a couple of days, they may adopt them for a couple of years. They may carry them around for years and protect them and, and raise them basically. So, so even in chimps and bonobos where the males do very little in offspring care, we see that they are capable of it. And in humans, I would say, since we have evolved nuclear families, the, the males are even better at it. I think that we have evolved even more of these tendencies. And so, uh, yes, many men maybe do very little with, with children, but they are perfectly capable of it. And, and I think if we change society and it requires men to step up and do a bit more, uh, I don't think that's an unnatural development necessarily. Well, that's interesting. You know, although men now should be ready for the paternity leaves. Um, yeah. And many men actually enjoy paternity leaves. Yeah. 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 And what about xenophobia? Well, that's a very different story. You mean uh, not liking the outgroup? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very strong in the chimpanzee. It's very weak in the bonobo. The bonobo groups, when they meet, they mingle. They interact with each other. The, the females groom each other between the groups. And, and experiments have been done with, you know, on altruistic behavior where they find that bonobos are willing to do something for, to help a stranger, someone they've never seen before. So bonobos are not xenophobic, but chimpanzees are very xenophobic and will try to kill somebody who is from another group. And, and unfortunately, humans are a bit like that. I think humans have a bit in common with the chimp in that regard. We, we are a xenophobic species. Yeah, yeah but is it the same um, when it comes to kind of including children or females? Or the resist, or the males, um, or the resistance is same to like all the individuals. Yeah, it's mostly a male-male thing. The territoriality of humans is mostly male-male, and uh, we, we see that at the moment, for example, in in the Ukraine, we see that that women and children left the country. They could step on buses and leave the country. If if a, a bunch of men would step on a bus, the, the bus would be blown up. They would be killed. They, they cannot just leave the country. It's, it's not gonna, they, they may be killed by their own people or they may be killed by the enemy, but uh, it's, it's not gonna be possible. So war and, and territorial conflict is, is mostly a male-male thing. Uh, I sometimes use that and, and I've done that in my book is that 
when we speak of male privilege in society, there is clearly male privilege in society that only applies to a peaceful society. I was born right after World War II, and I know if I had been born 50 years earlier, I probably would have been recruited into an army and I would have been killed on some battlefield because many, many boys were killed uh, during that period of time. So, so male privileges applies to peaceful societies, but when societies are at war, uh, it's not a good thing to be a man. It's not a good thing. So, so that's very unfortunate is that um, we cause the problems, we men, we cause these problems, and, and, but we also suffer from these problems, yeah. Yeah, so uh, let's dwell a little bit on nature nurture part because uh, I think that kind of brings the, the gist of it. Um, so when we talk about all these different uh, abilities or properties, um, how or like how far we can say that nurture can change nature? We are a very flexible species. So, so uh, we, we, our cultures are very powerful. So I think we can change quite a few things, um, but not everything, not everything. There are certain limits to it. So some people of course have this attitude that we humans, we can change, we can be whatever we want to be. That's not the case. Uh, so for example, the, the, the mother, child bond, very old, is, is 200 million years old because we are mammals and all the mammals have a mother-child bond automatically. There's oxytocin involved, there's nursing involved and so, and so on. That is not something you can easily do away with. So, so for example, the kibbutz in Israel, they have tried that, that there was a period of time where they try to separate children from the parents and, and raise the children collectively. And they had to abandon that because the, the, the human parents were very unhappy with this arrangement. They, they, they were very stressed by it. They, they, they couldn't stand that their children were not sleeping in the same house as where they were sleeping. And so they had to abandon this plan. I think the mother-child bond is one of these biological givens that we have to respect in society. So that there are certain things that we have to respect in society that we cannot change. Uh, but other things, you know, the level of aggression, or, uh, we can change, I think. Uh, the level of cooperation, we can change. The level of tolerance, there's many things we can change in society. So we have that capacity because we are cultural beings. And so if we teach children differently, they're gonna behave differently. Yeah, so when we were discussing that how far we can go with these uh, changes, I think this is where uh, science can also kind of contribute. But the only thing is that how do we um, understand that these are the properties that we can change? Like you gave one example, mother-child bond, which is, I mean, of course, good. But when it comes mm -hmm. to aggression and tolerance and, and these kind of issues, which are, um, we, we consider them socially bad, right? Um, mm -hmm. so, so how do we uh, deal with that? How do we understand that, you know, that we don't suppress something which is not um, suppressible in a way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know how you, how you would go about. I think society experiments with that all the time. We, we, we try to step in here and step in there. 
And so we try to change behavior. So for example, at the moment, one of the big changes is that, at least in Western society, is that men are getting more involved in, in, in care for the family. That's where the paternity leaves come in, for example. Uh, and, and, and I don't think um, we have reached a limit in that regard. So, so we're just experimenting with it. How does that go? Do men have a satisfying life if they do so? Is it good for the children? We, we can ask all these questions. We have, for example, gay couples who raise children. And in the beginning, there was resistance to that. Uh, people said that it cannot be good for them. But it turns out that we do studies now and we find that it, 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 these kids are basically the same as other kids. And so um, I think in society, we experiment with things and we will, we will find out by doing so uh, what is possible and what is not possible. Yeah, so the psychologist that I interviewed, Robert Plomin, who has this controversial uh, kind of statement that the, but it was interesting in a way when, once I got to know his view. Uh, so his um, message is that the, all of us, we uh, are born with certain blueprint or certain abilities. And the struggle is that how this blueprint is suitable to the nurture, the environment that we give it to uh, any being or any child. Um, sure. I think it's pretty solid, but yeah. It doesn't sound uh, as a yeah. bad idea to me, yeah. yeah. There is an enormous amount of individual variability. That, that is so interesting is that as a biologist, of course, we're very used to that. We, we know that I'm looking at the forest here, but there's no two trees in the forest who are identical. So in biology, we know that there's always individual variability, which is why it is so surprising that people are surprised by the gender diversity that we find in other primates, because of course each individual is different. And so we shouldn't be surprised that sometimes there are individuals who are a bit more homosexual and others who are, most of them who are a bit more heterosexual. We shouldn't be surprised by that variability that exists. So, so we are very used to that in biology. Biology is often depicted as very rigid, like uh, everything is organized in this way. That is not how biology works. Biology is actually very flexible. Yeah, the, the other thing is this, in general, we like to think in this categorical thinking, you know, so we like yeah, to write yeah. stuff. And so I think we have problem with the grays. We are fine with, fine with the white and blacks. The, the, with the grays, yeah. it's, it's an issue, so. We are a symbolic species, so we put labels on everything. Yeah. You are a man, you are a woman, you are homosexual, you're heterosexual. And, and, and even, for example, people who are bisexual, they were not recognized for a long time because no one wanted to believe them. The, 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 even the homosexual community didn't want bisexuals and the heterosexual community didn't want them. And they, they looked at them as a sort of an experimental phase or something like that. Now we know that they actually exist. There is research on that. They, they're actually people who uh, like both genders, so to speak. So uh, yeah, we, we are very pigeonholing, labeling species. And uh, that makes our life more difficult. It has advantages because I can talk to you over a distance here. So it has good things, but it also has um, disadvantages, I think. Yeah, the other good things is that the, the scientists like you who can um, study other uh, primates and give us this insightful information that how uh, our nature uh, has evolved. 
So mm-hmm. uh, th- that's that's another great thing. Um, so what else is coming from your side uh, after uh, writing a book on gender? Are you planning on another book? No, I'm not. At the moment, I'm not planning. I'm, I'm too busy because the book is coming out in, I think, 15 languages. So I'm too busy going to places like Paris or Germany to promote the book at the moment and do interviews. Uh, but at some point, uh, yeah, I will probably orient to a new book at some point. Yeah. Perfect. So with that, uh, thank you so much for accepting the You're invitation welcome. and sharing these uh, great, great ideas. And I think the in the book, what I really like those, um, I mean, I uh, even, even in the last book, it was there, the, the animations that you have added. Uh, they they uh-huh. are uh, amazing. Yeah. So My drawings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you.